2: Glad to have all of you with us for a Political Rewind. We've got a group of very smart panelists who have very clear minds about the issues that we're going to discuss uh, today. Of course, it's Thursday, which means Kevin Riley, the editor, the boss of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, is with us. Kevin, I have to point out, because you are you're a sports fan, you're excited because today is the start of what?
3: Today, the Open Championship, uh, golf's oldest championship, or the British Open, uh, begins. And we have an American in the lead as we sit here at the moment. So, Jordan Spieth. Who
2: is that? Oh.
3: Jordan Spieth. Uh, I, I uh, like fan, th- fan favorite, yeah.
2: I like the fact that you call it the Open, not the British Open, because the Brits don't like to acknowledge there's any other kind, Right.
3: Yeah, I, I had a chance to attend, and so you do pick up little things like that. In particular, the immense pride uh, the, the British have in their national game, which they is what they consider golf. It's very accessible. It's not a country club sport in, in Great Britain.
2: Right. Okay. Um, well, thank you for our little sports report to start the show today. Um, we're really pleased to have Mariella Romero uh, back with us. Um, most of you know by now that... She is the Community Empowerment Director of Univision, also has won more Emmy Awards, and you can count on your hands and your feet for the show she's done at Univision. How many Emmy Awards have you won, Mariella?
1: Oh, Bill, (laughs) now it's 27, because this past edition of the Emmys, I got four. (laughs)
2: Oh my, God. you know, I'm, you know, I've been in, I was in television for like what, almost 40 years. I was the Susan Lucci of the, uh, the news of why i never win any Emmys. So I, I, I think you're terrific. Congratulations oh, to you. Thank and thanks you. for being with us.
0: <laughs> Heath of Garrett course. is thank uh, you. back.
2: Heath Garrett is back with us again today. And we haven't seen you for a while. And I'm glad you could be back. Heath, Republican strategist, the founding partner of. Strategic Partners and Media, which has done work for many, many Republican candidates around the country. And right now, Heath, you've uh, you uh, told us you're starting to do the media for the uh, Kemp campaign, right?
4: I am. Bill, it's great to be with you and excited about trying to save liberty here in Georgia.
2: Yeah. Were you um, – was it your firm that was responsible for that launch camp ad that the Kemp camp, uh, campaign put up?
4: We uh, We did. Uh, That was uh, an ad that we worked on uh, here a few weeks ago with Governor Kent.
2: We've played it on this show a couple times. Uh, Republicans have talked about how much they liked it. Democrats have uh, said, boy, that's a terrible ad. (laughs) So, you're, you know, that's fine. That's the way it ought to be. Um, But thank you, Keith. We're so glad to have you here. And today we're joined for the first time by State Representative Debbie Buckner, who uh, is a Democrat. You represent Debbie. House District number one and number 137, 137, which is Talbot, Harris, and Meriwether, I think, right?
0: Correct, right, but I also have part of Columbus, the oh, rural part what, of Columbus.
2: You, so, because this is your first appearance, we always like to give listeners a little more background. You grew up in Columbus, Columbus. right? Right, Went I grew schools. up in Columbus,
0: and then I married to Talbot County.
2: You, you live in Talbot, and it's, you live in such a romantic-sounding place, Fielder's Mill in Talbot County. Sounds very bucolic. What is Fielder's Mill, Debbie?
0: Well, Fielder's Mill was my husband's mother's home place, and uh, it is a water-powered grist mill. We're one of the few operational grist mills, and we still grind mill, flour, and grits. So wow. we have the best grits around.
2: Right. okay well, glad you could give that little plug. And thank you so much for uh, being with us uh, today. Kevin Radley, I'm going to start the show with uh, two stories. one that I think Republicans will be very happy uh, to be able to tout as we move into the election cycle and the other which I think is a, a story that Democrats are very excited about. Let's start with the Republican side of this. Um, the uh, late last week, Uh, the state reported that despite all sorts of dire predictions about what was going to happen to the economy of Georgia during the pandemic, the fact that businesses were shut down in many cases, uh, legislators reduced the budget because they were afraid they wouldn't have enough revenue coming in. And yet, at the end of the fiscal year, the end of the 2021 fiscal year, which was June 30th, uh, the state reported um, revenues... Record-setting revenues, $3.2 billion. That uh, caught a lot of people off guard. It, it's a remarkable number, Kevin.
3: It sure is, and I'm sure uh, Heath is excited about it because we had a governor who was who spent the entire pandemic tr- arguing that we, we had to keep the economy of the state going, that we would do more damage if people lost their livelihoods. Uh, and we, we went too far with, with shutting down things down. And I'm sure that part of the message going forward will be, see, it was the right idea. Look at the great financial shape we're in. And um, I'm, I'm sure the governor plans uh, to work with legislature to create a few other talking points, perhaps a tax cut, perhaps a raise for teachers. Maybe, maybe Heath will let us know with which messages he would like most to uh, put out there for in the governor's campaign.
2: Heath, it is good news for Brian Kemp as he uh, launches the reelection campaign. He was under some criticism for opening the state too early, for not taking the pandemic as, serily, as seriously as many people thought he ought to have done, and uh, we did have we did have a lot of COVID cases. We had a lot of deaths here, uh, but in the long run, uh, this. Uh, thriving economy is definitely something that Republicans are going to be able to take advantage of as they run for election and re-election.
4: Well, Bill, first and foremost, it's good news for all of Georgia, right, that the state has a $3.2 billion surplus. So it's really not just a partisan issue. And and because of that, good policy makes good politics, uh, for Governor Kemp and for the entire state leadership. David Rawson played a big role in that, and so did the Senate. Uh, there's no question the governor was kind of lampooned early on. And I think the national media has kind of missed the story. They're giving Ron DeSantis a lot of credit for what he did down in Florida. But the state of Georgia economically, because of our state's Republican leadership does have a surplus. We have low unemployment. Uh, and look, uh, they said very early on, Governor Kemp said very early on, we're going to protect lives and livelihoods. And I think that that's the balance that he struck uh, in trying to maintain a focus on both health care and dealing with the pandemic, but keeping the economy as open as it could be, and then and opening it as quickly as possible. So I do think it's good news for all of us, uh, and it does give the legislature a lot of breathing room. And we're look, let's let's be proud of the fact that we're in the state of Georgia, uh, and people are wanting to move here. It's the number one place to still do business, and companies are moving here from places in the Northeast and the West where you just can't do business anymore.
2: So, Debbie, you uh, have uh, been a member of the Budget Committee, the Ways and Means Committee. You understand how the budget works pretty well. And uh, I think we can say that this surplus certainly is good news for everyone, but it's a mixed blessing to some extent, right? There's going to be arguing uh, between Democrats and Republicans about what to do with that money. Republicans typically will want to uh, push, some of them at least, for more tax cuts uh, Democrats, I think you're going to talk about increasing, get it, giving money back to the schools, which had been underfunded for so long. Also, reversing cuts to health care services that lost money when the budget cuts came. Talk to us about how you see that sh- that battle shaping up.
0: Uh, they always say that when there's a lot of money to disperse, there's more fighting because everybody wants a piece of the pie. And there's not when there's not very much money, it's not... Um, People kind of stay quiet so they don't become a target. Um, I do think this presents an unusual, extremely um, wonderful opportunity for us. Um, We have had uh, lots of opportunities to do some things, and I hope it won't be for things that that we won't squander this opportunity is what I'm trying to say. I hope that we will use this as an opportunity to look at right now, we do not um, have the approval of the feds for our um, our non-Medicaid expansion. So how are we going to provide for the health care needs for our citizens? And could we use this as an opportunity to to really do a feasibility study of, of how private and public um, Help payment systems, are they sustainable in Georgia? And do we have more people in need of them? And how are we going to take care of them? And then one of the other, I've been on retirement ever since I've been at the legislature and the retirement committee has, since 2008, our state retirees have not received a cost of living adjustment. And I think that there are some real issues out there. And you mentioned education and the QBE funding formula has come under scrutiny. And I think we've got opportunity to look at some things that we've not looked at because there were other pressing issues or not enough money. But now we've got some money and we we should take the time to really use this time wisely and make some good choices.
2: Uh, Mariella, there's no question that uh, some legislators, and I'm not sure that this will just be a partisan issue. There will be, I think, both Republicans and Democrats who will be arguing it's time to restore uh, the money that was cut from uh, healthcare services uh, during the pandemic, um, and that's an issue that's of always of particular concern in communities of of color, of course, which rely heavily on the social services on the healthcare services provided by the state.
1: Yes, absolutely, because also, um, you know, communities of colors are the ones who. Uh, were most uh, affected by the pandemic. They were the ones who had to continue working uh, and be in the front lines. Uh, But I think Governor Kemp will also receive a lot of pressure from Republicans to use the money to cut taxes. Uh, And that is always used to um, you know, when campaigns are coming, when, when it's time to, to have elections, uh, the Republicans will try to put, push for more tax cuts.
3: Marielle is right. I mean, Republicans love to run on uh, cutting taxes, and I think that the temptation to do so, um, it will be very strong. I'd be surprised if they don't do something. But Representative Buckner, I mean, isn't the real debate about can we afford to make changes that become permanent expenses versus using this one-time surplus for immediate one-time things. I mean, how what what, you know, that's a republican argument I guess in part, right? Don't let's not build ongoing expenses into the budget. So, what what's really possible from that if you take that point?
0: Well, I that's definitely what we will all wonder, because we don't want to encumber future legislatures with uh, bills that we can't pay. but but in regards to health care coverage and studying whether or not we have a sustainable health care program that that allows people to buy into it and have health care coverage, you're going to pay one way or the other. And um, we have since I represent rural areas and I've been serving as the vice chair of the rural caucus for years, we've got a real concern of how we're going to maintain rural health care and keep rural hospitals open. And if we don't find a way for for citizens to have health care coverage that is affordable to them, where they can get the care that they need, we're gonna pay one way or the other. So we we might as well have that conversation.
2: I apologize, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Debbie. Heath, Heath, of course, what Debbie says, is particularly interesting because uh, she's talking about areas of the state that uh, Governor Kemp is going to look once again for uh, major support in his reelection campaign. So yeah, rural healthcare means a lot uh, in terms, not just on the the surface of it, not for just the fact that we want to protect the health of Georgians, it's good for his politics too.
4: Absolutely, and I thought when it, as uh, our fine representative was talking about that, I thought this is one of those areas where there's probably some real bipartisan uh, uh, work to be done in Georgia, and everybody can work together. Uh, the governor and the Democrats and the Speaker have all identified rural investment. You know, a lot of my I'm from the rural part of Georgia. A lot of my family and friends have said, "Hey, we've been in economic crisis pre-pandemic, during the pandemic, and coming out of the pandemic." So I think that kind of investment is something I think you'll look at Republicans will look at it's fiscally responsible. We cannot uh, increase entitlements. I think there might be some talk about a tax cut. We've already had one of those. But the same thing, you can't make a permanent tax cut off of a one-time infusion or surplus like this. So I expect they'll look at rural investments like broadband and rural health care. I think education has been a priority in the Speaker and the Governor. Uh, I think you'll see investment there as well, um, and, and and I look forward to hopefully more surpluses in the future if we can stay the number one place uh, to do business in the country.
0: And one thing that's interesting about this amount of money is that 14% increase in income tax and a 12, almost 13% increase in sales tax. Some of that sales tax came from us implementing the sales tax on online purchases. So that we could help our front, our, our you know storefronts that are in our communities be more competitive. So some of this is not like CARES Act one-time money. This is money that is um, a part of the the stream of funds that we have in our state, and and we can depend on a little bit more than say just you know money from the feds.
2: I, I'm glad you pointed out uh, that uh, that we did get a, a lot more money out of that that online tax because that was one of the questions I was going to ask. How did this happen? How did we end up with a record amount of revenue in a pandemic year? And you're pointing out one reason, uh, Debbie. I don't and I don't know what the other factors are. Do, do, we, do you have any sense of that? I, I tried to get a, a
0: more. Den- definitive answer, but, but I, I do know that living in a rural area, I saw a whole lot of um, UPS trucks and FedEx trucks all through in the, all throughout the, the COVID pandemic. We were at home, and we were on computers when we had service, or if we had broadband service, and we were ordering things, and we were paying the tax, and that came at a really good time for the state.
4: No, I think that's exactly right. You hit the nail on the head. It's a combination of having the economy open, obviously the state of Georgia is a logistics hub for the you know 75% of the U.S. population. So as everybody went home and started ordering things, a huge number of those goods flowed through the state of Georgia, through our ports, through our trucking uh, you know stations, uh, through the city of Atlanta. Even while people were at home, Georgia was still at work, and I think that's critical. And on top of that, we've had – billions of dollars in investment from companies relocating to our state over the last 18 months in a way that we've never seen before. I think all of that combined for a great uh, revenue number.
3: So, Bill, you know, uh, Heath and uh, Representative Buckner mentioned where the upside came from. A couple other things that uh, our James Salzer has reported is corporate income tax collections were up uh, 42%. Tobacco and liquor tax collections improved seven point seven percent. I mean, I know that uh, some of us may have contributed to that, um, and then, uh, but but there are a couple other things uh, that have upside potential. I guess you would say hotel motel, you know, uh, taxes were down, and so were motor fuel taxes, in part because of that colonial pipeline uh, problem. So if you were arguing for uh, some of the things I think the Democrats may end up arguing for, you would say, hey, this has been good, and there's still a lot of upside to come. We ought to make these investments while we can, and it'll be interesting to see uh, if, if there can be, as I think Heath is rooting for, a bipartisan agreements on things that really move the state forward and keep us in. I mean, you know, all of us who live here uh, should care about, look, this is arguably one of the most ten most important states in the union. And if we continue to
2: thrive, we need to continue to invest to keep that going. Um, And, of course, uh, we are also going to hear from legislators who are going to say, let's squirrel it away, keep that rainy day fund uh, uh, fully funded so that we can uh, deal with crises that may occur down the line. I I said at the start of the show there's uh, one story that is really good news for Republicans moving into the elections, uh, and and that's certainly the revenue story. Uh, Mariella, there's a great story for Democrats to tell right now, too. Starting today, the uh, Biden uh, COVID relief uh, 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 bailout money, which, which, which um, caused some controversy on the Hill and got mostly uh, Democratic backing, starting today, uh, families will be receiving $300 uh, for each dependent child. It will carry through the uh, 2021 tax year and beyond, it, it, is, it is expected to cut child poverty rates literally in half. And in Georgia, um, the statistics show us that uh, just about one out of five Georgia children will, will be, are, are living in poverty, nearly 500,000 uh, young people. So uh, Democrats have already started running ads in uh, states that are gonna be contested in, the, in, in Congress uh, next year for congressional seats. So they're, uh, they're gonna be running an ad that will uh, help Carolyn Bordeaux, uh, they hope Lucy McBath, Raphael Warnock. Um, this is a huge uh, effort at, what, at, at helping break a cycle of poverty but obviously not not all. Certainly Republicans have some questions about it. But first, Mariella.
1: Yes, I think um, it is is going to benefit tremendously. Many families in need and especially in, in the Latino community. I think uh, the benefits will be seen uh, immediately. Uh, a, a lot of Children in this country live in poverty, and uh, a lot of people around the world do not know that. And, in it you know, when a lot of campaigns that the federal government and even the state of Georgia has have done with us at Univision is to inform families of, uh, I'm sorry, I have a dog here, uh, inform families about... Um, about the benefits of... Apparently he's uh, a
2: Republican who doesn't much like what you're saying.
1: <laughs>
2: I just <laughs> I think so.
1: <laughs> so what, what I'm trying to say is that even in the Latino community, people do not know about some programs that at the state level and at the federal level, people can apply for to better um, have access to nutritional foods for their kids. So a lot of our campaigns... Uh, revolve around that and uh, I think with this extra help a lot of families are going to be able to feed their kids so they can do well in, in schools and, and everybody benefits because those children are the, the future workforce.
3: So I have a question I want to ask the same question of, of both Heath and Representative Buckner. Um, this is being talked about as uh, potentially the first step in guaranteeing income for parents with children, and um, that that way of talking about it, 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 create, it creates a little bit more of a lightning rod issue, I think. So let's start with you, Heath, the Republican view on that, and then Representative Buckner, you know, the Democratic view on that.
4: Well, first of all, I say we as Republicans are, are happy to see that our Democratic friends are now using tax credits uh, as a way to deal with issues of poverty. This is a Republican concept that we came up with in the 1980s and 90s. It's the more efficient way to deal with uh, these issues. And so I think that you would find that most Republicans agree with the concept of the child tax credit and increasing it as a way, as a method for attacking uh, child poverty in the United States of America. Uh, insurance can become a political issue because Republicans voted against the broader package, which was uh, we all view as fiscally irresponsible in its total, but not necessarily this in particular. And then obviously, to no surprise, uh, we'd have philosophically major concerns with um, kind of a guaranteed wage as it goes to, you know, work ethic and all the things that we're challenged with in this country today. And so, Uh, I think that kind of a guaranteed entitlement subsidy uh, without a number of requirements is probably not philosophically in line with what we as Republicans would like to do. Let's target poverty. Let's find ways to incentivize, uh, to make sure we have that safety net, but it's a tight fiscal safety net that's responsible. And let's make sure that we use education and all the other resources to give people the opportunity, because the best Welfare is a job for an American person, whether no matter how you're here. And so I think that would be beneficial to all rather than a guaranteed wage.
0: Um, In response to that, I guess I would say that we in Georgia have, um, the Democrats in Georgia have pushed several times in the past years for income tax credits for low-income families. Um, We have been very concerned about families that are trying to work at um, jobs that are low pay with no health insurance coverage and um, have a difficult time finding childcare that's affordable for them to be able to go to work every day. So there are multiple issues of how do we lift families out of poverty? Um, How do we find housing that is um, clean, appropriate, and safe and affordable? How do we find daycare that's clean, appropriate, safe? And affordable for working families, and how do we find fam- ha- jobs for people that actually cover the cost of of basic human needs? And um, it's not as simple as a as a um, conversation of uh, this tax credit or the other. It's kind of a, a multi phased problem that we've got to look at.
2: All right, let's do this. Um, Let's get to our first break of the show. I'll just point out, as I said, the two stories we talked about now, both are going to be appearing throughout uh, the next year as Democrats and Republicans position themselves in the campaigns of 2022. And so we'll talk about both of these subjects a lot more in the weeks and months ahead. Uh, Our first break coming up right now. In a moment, more on Political Rewind. (laughs) Welcome back to uh, Political Rewind. We're joined today by Kevin Riley, Republican strategist Heath Garrett, Democratic State Representative Debbie Buckner, and Univision's Community Empowerment Director Mariella Romero. Uh, before we keep up the conversation for today, just a quick note about tomorrow's show. I'm We're really looking forward to this show, especially Amelia Brock, uh, because she's very concerned about women's issues, as she rightfully should be. We're going to be talking tomorrow with Eleanor Cleghorn. Her new book is called Unwell Women, Misdiagnosis and Myth in a Man-Made World. And in it, she recounts the kind of startling history throughout, literally out throughout the ages, of how men have dominated the way in which women are, are looked at in terms of their needs for their bodies, the pain they suffer, the illnesses that they experience. And she says this, We expect and deserve fair and ethical treatment, regardless of gender or people of color. But here things get complicated. Medicine carries the burden of its own troubling history. And she says that history... And Even into the present is about men controlling how women's health is dealt with. It's a fascinating subject and we'll talk about it tomorrow on Political Rewind. Patricia Murphy of the AJC will be here to share in that conversation with me. Okay, um, let's go at, uh, move forward with uh, today's show. Um, you know, I, I send out so many notes about what we're going to talk about to the panel the day ahead of time and... Um, and there, so I'm thinking of all the different directions we could go. But, but I've got to say, uh, Heath Garrett, as long as we've got you here, a Republican strategist here, I'd like to ask you uh, to talk a little bit about an interesting story that developed overnight. Um, Butch Miller is running for Lieutenant Governor on the Republican uh, uh, side of the uh, equation. President Trump, former President Trump, put out a news release. This, just yesterday declaring he will not endorse Butch Miller because Miller did not sign on to the lawsuit looking to overturn the state's presidential elections. Now, there are other candidates for Lieutenant Governor. We can talk about them as well. But it seemed to me when I saw that, Heath, that this is a shot across the bow by Donald Trump saying to Republicans, don't get, don't get sideways with me and warning Republicans they'd better stay loyal to the message.
4: Bill, I think your uh, assessment politically is uh, pretty much spot on. The president, former President Trump, is trying to do everything he can uh, to continue uh, the story of how he may not have lost the election, either in Georgia or nationally. Um, It's unfortunate that that, we're continuing to look backwards in that regard. Uh, Some Republicans are. I think it's also a testament to Butch Miller's strength uh, as the AJC and other newspapers reported. He had a really strong fundraising number uh, in the last quarter, raised over $2 million, which was a surprise and a record in a lieutenant governor's primary. Uh, Donald Trump does have a preferred candidate potentially in that race, uh, State Senator Burke Jones, uh, who is at least making noise about that race or others and has thought about it before. And so, I really viewed it as uh, a real compliment to Butch Miller for how much money he had raised. That The former president felt like he needed to jump in and see if he couldn't stifle some of that momentum. I, I think it's going to be interesting to see play out all across the country, uh, the former president trying to a- intervene in these uh, uh, places, and in Georgia, it's funny because uh, Senator Jones has a backward-looking argument, right? His whole thesis for running for lieutenant governor should be based upon the 2020 election. Um, I think Butch Miller can testify to being a conservative, having done a lot of things on reform, but is definitely running a different type of campaign that's going to really test uh, where we are with the president and the party.
2: Okay, well, Heath, clearly one of the reasons I ask you that question is that your candidate... Uh, Brian Kemp, is not going to win the endorsement of Donald Trump for re-election. And we know that we keep hearing these stories that uh, Trump uh, uh, allies like Corey Lewandowski, Rudy Giuliani, have candidates that they'd like to bring forward to challenge him. And, and Kemp, so far, and I assume you're involved in the strategy, and I'd like to hear your thinking on this, has been very careful uh, he said virtually nothing about Donald Trump in his big announcement speech down in Perry over the weekend. Uh, he continues to say good things about Donald Trump, uh, it, but it's a it's a it's a it's a high wire act, isn't it?
4: Well, look, we, no, nobody's ever been in this situation before, uh, you know, either as a Democrat or a Republican, to have uh, a former president uh, like Donald Trump. Uh, as I've said on the show uh, hundreds of times, uh, Donald Trump ran as a disruptor. Uh, he served as a disruptor, and, uh, and and that's a part of who he is and his psychology. Governor Kemp has been very clear in that he supported the president's policies. Uh, he supported the president himself. Uh, And uh, it will will continue to call balls and strikes on policies and things that he agrees or disagrees with on. Uh, But at the same point in time, has to run his race. Governor Kemp also put his hand on the Bible. And swore that he was going to uphold the Georgia Constitution and the US Constitution and uh, has made uh, tough choices that in the short term may not have been politically popular but were correct both constitutionally legally, politically uh, we think in the long term and so it is how do and Governor Kemp is focused on reuniting the Republican Party which isn't going to be easy it's not it never has been as you all we all know Johnny Isaacson could barely unite the Republican Party with all of his diplomatic skills. So uh, we as Republicans are ruggedly difficult to uh, unite, but I think Governor Kemp's focused on that and a forward-looking, out-the-windshield, not out-the-rearview-mirror approach. Uh, And it's going to be a good test. Uh, But it's going to be a test. We're not the only state with that test, by the way. Mm
0: -hmm. I think that um, Kemp may do a really good job defeating his uh, primary opponents, but I think he's still going to have a problem because of the closeness between the Democrat-Republican vote statewide. And um, I, I really, I've run a number of times, not statewide, but I have had white Republican, a black Republican, and a black Democrat run against me. And what I've found out is that People don't vote for me because of party or because of gender or because of race as much as they do because I'm knocked on their door. I've talked to them and asked them, what do you want your state government to do? And um, I think that there's a real issue for this campaign to figure out how they're going to get out to the people and talk to the people about the problems that need to be solved in our state and how. And ask for some input because we, I think, in our state, have a real issue right now with people not trusting elected officials at any level. Um, there is a—I don't know exactly how we got to this point where we don't trust each other at all and don't feel like there's enough transparency. And um, I think, I think, the closeness of the Democrat Republican race is going to—it's going to come between the primary and the general for the governor. And um, that's where we're going to have to see a lot of hard work on both sides of the island and get out the boat with these new rules that we have in place.
3: I think that uh, there, it, what's obvious here is there's just this fissure. Um, I've been listening, by the way, to John Boehner's book. And, um, you know, he talks a lot about uh, Republicans needing to really uh, rely on their principles and ideas and when the when the battle over policy and better ideas, um, Heath keeps talking about, uh, and others have to Heath about whether you're going to look backward or going to look forward. And it's clear that there is a segment of the party that's saying we're better off uh, looking forward. We we can win this. Uh, we can win with uh, our better ideas and, and our track records. And there's a, a significant part of the party that just wants to continue to feed. I don't know what else to call it, feed anger and and go back to an election that is now, I mean, how many months ago, seven months ago, and has been adjudicated in in almost every way that we can imagine, and somehow stays alive as if any of these things are at all plausible.
2: You know, Mariella, it's interesting, and he's gonna have, I'll get to you in a sec, thanks for uh, saying you wanna jump in, Heath, but Mariella, first, And and Heath can respond to this, but you first. Um, Brian Kemp is not Nathan Deal. Nathan Deal uh, was able to, although he he, he ran as a Republican with strong conservative values, he was able to move to the middle on a number of really important issues. Criminal justice reform, of course, being paramount. Um, Brian Kemp is an an admittedly much more conservative uh, voice. He's the first true lifelong Republican to ever serve uh, as a governor of Georgia, at least in modern history. So I do think it's going to be interesting to see how Heath and, and the other Kemp campaign folks pivot, assuming that Brian Kemp is going to win the nomination.
1: Yes, that would be interesting to, to see because, uh, you know, I think uh, Governor Kemp is in in a very interesting spot in in the campaign, you know, the way we'll unfold, it would be very interesting to see because he is stuck with trying to uh, convince the part of the party that blames him for uh, Donald Trump not winning the state and also trying to appeal to those uh, Republicans who did not show up to support David Perdue and Kelly Loeffler and Republicans who are uh, not interested in the rhetoric of the big lie of uh, former President Trump. So I, it, it, and definitely uh, I don't believe that the Kemp the, the camp campaign is now going to try to talk to uh, communities of color. But uh, so so I, I, I don't believe also that a, it, it would be very, very interesting to see how he gets the, the nomination again, if, uh, uh, you know, someone else doesn't jump in with the endorsement of uh, President Trump and, and win the primary, I, I, I don't foresee that. But it will be a very interesting campaign, especially uh, uh, if uh, Stacey Abrams decides to get uh, in the race as well.
4: No, th- I think those are all excellent points. and, and I think we as Republicans uh, absolutely recognize uh, that we're almost back to where we were twenty years ago, trying to win the state back. Uh, you know, we were in the wilderness when other states turned red and we did not. I give the Democrats a lot of credit for that uh, 20 years ago. At the same point in time, I do think it's possible, uh, as you all know, there are five or six external polls, and we've definitely got internal polls that show Brian Kemp is very popular within the Republican primary in Georgia, even after the last seven months. Uh, he Some polls show him in the upper 70s in favorability, and then some in the lower 80s. Those are the external polls. That's higher than Johnny Isakson within the Republican primaries. I like to remind people, Johnny Isaacson at his height had an opponent in 2016 who got 20% of the vote in the Republican primary. Republic, there's a, there is a faction of the Republican primary who's always against whoever's in power. Uh, but at the same point in time, Governor Kemp goes into the primary in a strong position, um, almost as favorable as anybody else in modern history. And then I think the one thing that we know is that Chris Carr, Governor Kemp, and others are not taking the Democrats lightly. Stacey Abrams is a force to be reckoned with no matter how much we might not like her policies. So uh, we – but there, there is a – we believe that if you focus on lives and livelihoods, uh, that our message can appeal to people of color uh, and particularly college-educated, white, African-American, and other colored uh, suburbanites that, that didn't happen the last election cycle.
2: Uh, hey, Heath, as long as you mention Stacey Abrams, I do want to do a quick fact check with you because we talked about it on the show the other day. In that first commercial that you uh, produced for Brian Kemp, uh, he lays the blame for the all-star game moving at Stacey Abrams' uh, feet. We played audio of Stacey Abrams in April saying unequivocally uh, the Major League Baseball should not move. We don't think boycotts are the way to go. So I'm a little surprised by that uh, charge and Democrats are clearly going to be able to come back at you on that.
4: Well, actually, they're really going to have a hard time doing that. Number one, you cannot, you cannot go out and and have a website that accuses the governor and every other Republican in the state of Georgia of being racists, saying it's Jim Crow 2.0. Which, if it is, you should be boycotting, right? You you can't say you can't start the fire fan the flames, and then we have the USA Today opinion piece where she does imply that she's for the boycott, and then they let her come back and re-edit it. So she was for the boycott before she was against the boycott, but here's the point. Even if you say you weren't for the boycott, if you say it's Jim Crow 2.0, you should be boycotting the state of Georgia. I mean, it, it is not. That's why I say that. It's it's really outrageous. It's irresponsible. It's immoral to be using race like that to divide the state of Georgia, and it did lead to the boycott. Therefore, she is responsible.
2: Okay, I, I'm glad you took an opportunity to tell us the your position on that um, uh, since we did play that soundbite, so thanks for that. Uh, Debbie, let me let you jump in on this right now.
0: Well, I, I think that... Um, IN RELATION TO THE um, the ELECTION BILL AND HOW IT NEGATIVELY IMPACTS OUR MINORITY POPULATION, THERE ARE A LOT OF PEOPLE THAT DO FEEL VERY STRONGLY THAT IT IS RACIALLY MOTIVATED, THAT IT IS DIRECTLY RELATED TO THE WIN OF OUR TWO SENATORS AND THE RUNOFF, and, AND THERE'S A LOT OF REALLY HARD FEELINGS ABOUT THE BILL. IT'S NOT ABOUT HANDING OUT WATER IN LINE. IT'S ABOUT CHANGING THE GUIDELINES. Um, for me, it's really difficult in the rural counties where I only have like uh, one employee and a half-time employee that's going to have to keep up with schedules that are pre-determined and um, dictated to them. That they can't they can't have um, voting um, the Saturday before the Tuesday election and and have a bunch of people to swap out. They'll have people that'll have to work. Five or six days in a row and expect to have the election results turned in the same day as the election. It's just, we can have uniformity in the expectation of fair elections, which we had back in 2020. Um, we can have um, rules and regs, but we need flexibility in our communities and we need to have some, up op- we need to make it easier for people to vote, not harder. And so I think some of those messages are of concern to people in our state, regardless of color, race, but, but also, geogra- also the geography of it has been a problem. And um, I, I really think that um, that bill has got some problems and, and it did not need to pass in the form that it was in.
3: Heath, you've talked a lot about uh, history, in particular the governor's strengths uh, relative to history. Um, just for those those of us who don't have as deep a background as you it it is somewhat historic for an incumbent governor to potentially be primaried correct i mean what talk about that a little bit it, 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 you know even absent party of how unusual that is
4: well, it is much more usual for uh, U.S. Senators, <laughs> I guess, statewide to be primaried uh, than it is governors. It, it is not very usual. Of course, you know, in the state of Georgia, uh, we're a little bit different than other states in that we had one party ruled by the Democrats for so long from just past Reconstruction all the way through. So you didn't see a lot of primary challenges for incumbent governors because the party you know had such control and then that, when we flipped as a state that that happened as well so uh it's not it's not common uh, right now we do have one primary opponent in Vernon Jones the former democratic chairman of Cobb of excuse me DeKalb County don't want to offend Cobb or DeKalb there um and and so uh The question is, is that a sustainable challenge or not? But uh, it's definitely indicative of the environment that we're in within the Republican Party at the moment.
2: Um, I got to get to another break. I will say that if this mystery, we've heard a name attached to the to the possibility of another challenger uh, coming in against uh, Brian Kemp. But time is running short for somebody who wants to get into a race against Brian Kemp because the Kemp campaign is fully funded. Nine plus million dollars in the bank, and uh, they're working hard as they get their message out. So I I would think we've got to see a a, a different Republican opponent emerge pretty quickly, and we'll be watching for that. Let's get to the final break of the show. Back with more in just a moment. Kevin Riley, we know that the Delta variant is spiking the uh, number of infections, COVID-19 infections in any number of states. Uh, most of the tracking shows it's particularly de- uh, a problem in the South and we're seeing some uh, ticking up in uh, especially rural parts of Georgia and in places where people are not vaccinated. We're still to the point where only 40% of Georgians are fully vaccinated. Um, And it's at a certain point, you wonder what's going to break through and convince people, again, primarily Republican Trump supporters, that vaccines are healthy.
3: Yeah, I think it's a good point, uh, Bill. I I try to remember, though, I mean, I know that it's a talking point among, um, you know, as you point, you you use the term uh, Republican Trump supporters. But that doesn't account for you know sixty-three percent of the population not being vaccinated. I think there's some, there's still some uh, problems with getting to certain populations. We know we have this oddity even among healthcare workers, and I think that um, you know there there are ongoing efforts, uh, but there there just has to be uh, we just have to keep at it because it is unsafe to be not vaccinated, plain and simple.
1: Yes. And, you know, the people who are not vaccinating are putting at risk the whole country uh, because the, you know, you can have mutations uh, going around and then one of those mutations can be uh, the one that the vaccines do not do anything uh, against. And in the Hispanic population in Georgia, we have made strides. Now we have 8% 8% of the Hispanic population um, uh, vaccinated and, in, 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 you know, we have to continue to do. But there has been so much uh, misinformation and disinformation going on through uh, WhatsApp and, and social media. And we constantly have to do Facebook Lives and programming, talking about it, because there is mistrust. Uh, about the effectiveness of the vaccine, and, and how you know people have questions of how the vaccine was created so quickly, and we have to dispel uh, the misinformation out there. The young population also, we are seeing the high numbers going on on the people uh, who are getting sick are people in their thirties and forties. So we have to keep going uh, and, and, and do a better job informing the public.
2: Uh, Debbie, uh, calling for mandates has been very unpopular on, on both sides of the aisle. In some cases, Piedmont Healthcare Care uh, this week took a controversial step. They are mandating now that their staff be vaccinated, period. Um, we talked about this on the show last week. There are hospitals, as Kevin just pointed out, around the country where as few as a third of the workers are vaccinated. Your, your take on mandates. Yeah, well, and le-
0: let me... Kind of do full disclosure. I worked in public health and for and and I was in the health care field my whole career and um and so my opinion is is that healthcare workers should take the lead. They were given the chance for quite a while now to do it on their own, and if they chose not to, I don't. I really feel like we're at a point if we're going to wrap this thing up and get past covid we may need to have some mandates and say look you, you you've had your chance you decided not to but um now's the time you need to step up and be a leader as a healthcare provider um i have personally had a situation where a older friend of mine went to the hospital um only partially vaccinated and um contracted covid at the hospital and it was very likely from a healthcare worker so I, I is, want to uh, give you. Very... I'm,
2: I'm, sorry, I'm okay, Go ahead. With finish.
0: mandates
2: at this point, He's jumped hey, in. You and
4: I, I just think there's a big difference between a government mandate and then private sector employees mandating. Healthcare is clearly on a different level, and uh, I do think that there's vaccine hesitancy in rural Georgia. I think it's in our our communities of color as well, and I think we've got to do a better job of incentivizing and educating uh, more so than mandating.
2: All right, Um, Heath Garrett gets the last word on uh, today's uh, Political Rewind. Uh, Heath, it's a pleasure to have you back. Debbie Buckner, thank you for making your first appearance on the show. I hope you'll come back and join us again. Mariela Romero, we love having you on as well. Kevin Riley, have fun watching the British Open. I'll be watching the Tour de France uh, later uh, today in my uh, uh, television um, that's it for us again. Eleanor Cleghorn comes on the show tomorrow to talk about unwell women, how women have been mistreated and misdiagnosed for centuries by the male healthcare profession. Until then, take care, stay healthy, wear the mask when it's appropriate, and please get vaccinated if you're not. Take care. See you tomorrow. <laughs>